0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly name dindy dindy dong, come <laughs> on. Into Messi, and I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Curnine. Joining me for this episode is Tim Lees. Tim is the former academy coach at Watford, Wigan, Liverpool. He also worked in the US with St. Louis, holds a degree in sports psychology. He's written a couple of top class coaching books and he's a massive contributor to the online Coaching community does a lot of work on Twitter. Posts some some really really good stuff. So I've been a big fan of Tim for a while. Really really keen to get him on the podcast. I've bugged him for months and months. So I uh, was excited to get him on. He thinks about the game a little bit differently, and he's got a great bit of balance between being really really strong in his beliefs and then being really really flexible and other ideas and how to improve and how to get better and you're, you're going to pick that up in the podcast really really quickly so we talk about influence of Roberto Martinez at Wigan possession football how do you coach it at every level how do we get into the detail of possession football why are so many coaches reluctant to press aggressively every week we talk about that Also, talk about individual player development and and a lot of good stuff on that there. So, much, much more. As always, love to get your thoughts on what you think. Reach out to me on Twitter at Gary Kernin, on Instagram at Gary Kernin. Really appreciate all the coaches that have reached out about the Barcelona trip. Registration is now open, the Modern Soccer Coach Education Tour to Barcelona really excited about going over to spain with coaches to dig a little bit deeper into their culture into their development and just to experience a different a different type of coach education for a week so the information is up on the modern soccer coach website modern soccer we've also got a new deal on the pressing book there as well so if you wanted to to stop in take a look at that we're going to be uploading a lot of content on the website now over the next few months so Thanks so much for listening. Let me know your thoughts. Excited to hear what you think about this one. It's a good one. Thanks. Enjoy. Tim, thanks for joining me tonight for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you on. No problem, Gary. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. Big time admirer of your work. Uh, listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of interviews with you. You talk a lot about the influence of Roberto Martinez at Wigan when you, when you came across him. Curious to hear how did you see football before you came across some, and then what was the big points that changed that
1: yeah, it was definitely a big influence um i think I think prior to that really, my exposure had been i'd worked at a different academy down in london i've done a lot of i've done about seven or eight years doing various different levels, but I suppose it was um, the first so the first time being completely honest, Gary, the first time. I went in and I was asked to present the academy philosophy, if you like. We'd just been given kind of a blank canvas to go off it because I'd just been put in full time as the 12 to 16s manager. We just had someone put in full time, so all the staff had just changed as part of the the new E Triple P, if you like. And we had pretty much a blank canvas. So we'd been working on the program for about, I'd say, about six to eight months. And in hindsight, if I'm being honest now, looking back, I. I we were doing well and I felt as if we were in a good position. I felt as if the programme had developed really well. And then um, I wouldn't say I was overconfident as a coach, but I was quite confident in what I was delivering and what I wanted out of it and what I wanted each team to look like at different ages and things and getting the culture right. And um, I was asked to present the Academy philosophy to him and it was put right under the microscope. It was right. Show me what you've got. Literally show me what you've got. And it, and he just said, right, there's a, I said, oh, well, all the kind of philosophies on a, on a laptop, if you like. And um, he said, right, let's go through it. And I went through the whole programme from top to bottom at what we looked at coming in at nines, what it looked like at sixteens, how it looked different at every age, individually, collectively. And in a very polite way, he kind of just tore the programme apart and had a very clear, which surprised me really because he hasn't worked with youth before, but he had an extremely clear vision how he wanted it to look especially collectively at that point. Um, and I learned an awful lot in terms of the tactical flexibility side. That was, that was the biggest learning curve for me. Um, and it made me realise how little I knew about
0: football as well. What was the process of, right? So once he's kind of taken it down a level or two, what was the next step? Was it going through that in the meeting or was it like, here, shadow me? Or what was the, what was the process?
1: There was, a, there was a big focus on changing the type of player that he wanted to create in terms of individually. Um, which had a massive emphasis on one v one development and splitting that up and really putting that under the microscope, and then the teams the teams were too structured and too um, pattern based, too too much um, prescribed, too much. When this centre back receives here, this midfielder moves this way. It was quite. When I look back now, it was quite robotic. It, all the teams played great football, but it was very, um, it was very very. I I would look back now and I would say it was very predictable. So the biggest thing for him was was um, he wanted players to be tactically flexible. So he'd say, right, if I want want a player to come in, for example, and at the time Wigan were Premier League, so he'd say, right, if if we need to defend with a back three and two sitting in front for the last 10 minutes of a game, I need to know that one of the, the centre midfielders can do that role. So your job as running this programme and your job as staff to filter that down is to make sure that each player comes out of your programme. Well, they're tactically flexible. To not not so much where they can play every position. Where you kind of the old cliche of "ah oh, well," the centre back should have experience of playing up top. More can you adapt within games? Can you be tactically flexible enough within games to different systems, different styles of play within it? Um, can you change your role within the system? Can you just can you adapt to different rhythms in the game? And that was the biggest. That was the biggest thing I learned under him. I could talk for an hour on it, but as, to simplify, that was the biggest thing
0: did you observe a lot of training sessions did you sit down with them often just curious to see just how it all unfolded over a period of time
1: do you know what guy i'm being honest we went through a lot of sessions but it's more when, when i go to kind of watch sessions when i first started as a coach i'd be blown away by a drill or an exercise or i'd be invited into a first team session somewhere and you're really excited and You've got this brand new shiny drill where the balls are flying everywhere, and there's cones everywhere, and there's loads of movement, and kind of. I think certainly for me, the more you progress as a coach, the more you realise it's less about the drills, it's more about the content and what you're delivering and how you're engaging with the players. And so the biggest thing for me, we did watch sessions, but you, you didn't really see any see anything particular where you're going to go. That's an unbelievable drill. It was more um, what he's asking him to do within it, what he's asking within the shape, the principles that he's asking from. So it's when coaches go and they watch kind of Mourinho or whatever it may be at sessions, very rarely you're going to come away and go, that was the most unbelievable session. I've never seen that before in my life. It's more the day-to-day consistent messages, the consistent principles that you're trying to learn. So to answer that, it was more me asking questions to him Mm -hmm. about why he wanted a certain thing in and then me realising then what I'd got wrong within the programme. That was more the process of me learning and getting better really rather than going actually watching a session
0: so whenever you went back to your your youth team then what was your what was that starting point again was it in possession out of possession the player individual player where did you where did you get going
1: yeah there's probably um it was probably more more heavily weighted towards the collective rather than the individual and, and a club I've worked at since then was probably the other way around more heavily weighted individual but a lot of it was based um, tactically about playing in different systems. So, can the centre-back, how does he react when he's got to go and play in a back three rather than playing centre-back in a two? Can he adapt to... um, He used to speak to us about different types of centre-backs within his system. So, he used to speak about um, a certain centre-back that may be like your old-fashioned stopper who could defend 1v1, could head a ball. And then he'd say, right, well, I don't want a specific type of player saying, right, this is the type of centre-back I want coming out of the academy because... I want you to look at the individual qualities that they have. So for Al- like they had different centre-backs at, at the time. So you're speaking about a South American defender who used to have arguments all the time with the different, play- different players and the different centre-backs about how to defend the same situation. So, for example, he was obsessed with and he'd been brought up in a system where he would just defend 1v1. So if he's against a striker, his job is to stop him 1v1. So whether that's to just fly out or if he drops in between the lines, he goes with him. And he can just vacate his position because his job is to deal with that scenario in a one v one situation and cut him out the game. Whereas other centre backs would say, "Right, well, no, if he drops in too far, there, I'm going to stay here." And it was just it was just about learning how to get the individual identities of the players and make that kind of really flexible within different systems and setups.
0: I listened to one of your 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 interviews. You you were given a talk about possession and how you wanted to achieve 70% possession um there was five different stages of how you were going to achieve 70% immediately like my ears perked up because sometimes we throw possession around as just a well we should be having a 80% of it 90% of it whatever it is you went a little bit more specific um, into more detail can you talk through those five different stages
1: yeah so the 70% possession is just a It's just um, an aim, a specific aim for the players to get. So at 70%, basically, the returns technically and the returns tactically are a lot higher than what, on specifically what I believe in, in coaching a team. Not necessarily that's the right way to do, but that, that's what I believe in. So if you have 70% of the possession, the idea is that's kind of an overall figure where if you achieve that from a general, very, very general, simplistic point of view, you're the team then who's deciding what happens. You're the team who's owning the ball and owning the pitch. You're the team who's controlling the opposition. So it's not um, you're The way I always put it is: can any team that I'm in charge of or any groups that I'm in charge of? Can we? Would you go and watch them, and would you recognise that team if they were in different shirts somewhere else? So, how does that look from a, a game model, a collective identity? So that the seventy percent possession is just saying. Can we dominate the ball? But more importantly, on the opponent's half. And then I think that's just a throwaway comment, really. And a lot of people, everyone can say, I want to dominate the ball. But I think the five stages of me were just, again, more more getting it wrong, more trying this for years and years and adapting and, and twisting different things and, and going, right, that didn't quite work there and why. Because my big thing is all the time I say to myself, right, why am I doing that? Why am I asking him to do that? Why? When I watch man city, how are they dominating the ball what what Why have they made that decision? Why is that player moving in that space so because kind of there's a lot there's a lot of negatives about not not having played professionally, but I suppose one of the positives is i've because I've not played at that top level, everything I've learned is more through actually going out and doing it and making mistakes, and I've not been pre prescribed to kind of sessions that I've had as a player or drills or systems or whatever it may be. So I kind of just ask question all the time. Why, 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 why? So the five stages with me were just a a way that I found as if was a very clear way of articulating to the players how to actually play that, how to achieve 70% possession, if you like. That was the idea behind the five stages.
0: Staying on that possession and, and just the kind of the coaching culture of possession and how we talk about it as a community. Saturday on Twitter, you'll see... Plenty of pity posts, dominated possession, but beaten by a direct team, blah, blah, blah. How do we shift coaches from seeing the game to what you're talking about there, looking a little bit deeper into it instead of thinking, well, we should have won, but we didn't, and we play great stuff. How do we get coaches to have a a greater appreciation of what possession means and how we can dominate it and where we can dominate it?
1: I think it's it's really making that clear from whoever's in in charge of... Whether it be the Academy or the team or the grassroots club, wherever it may be, it's make, it's making that really clear to people how that looks and why they're doing it. So 70% possession, if all the possessions in your own half, or if you're getting if you're not creating chances, if you're not playing in behind the back four or the back five, if you're not if you're not playing into those channels in behind and you're not penetrating those channels, it's complete and utter waste of time. Like I I can't stand watching teams and I'd rather watch a team go back to front and be direct and create chances than watch a team that has a high percentage of possession and does absolutely nothing with it. I find nothing more frustrating. So, for example, watching Spain at the World Cup, especially in the last few games, just like watching a skip go rusty. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's possession and it's going nowhere and it's doing nothing with it. So, I think for me, it's educating people on exactly what what you want with that possession and how
0: that's going to look. Staying on the, the Twitter theme, This week on Twitter, Aden Osman basic was talking about how we overvalue low blocks defensively. Uh, They're not as safe as we all think, false sense of security. You were pretty vocal last season about playing against Man City, even in a medium block. You said it was criminal to allow their centre backs to dictate possession. Why do you think we're so reluctant to press against good football teams in, in the UK and the US?
1: I think because the pressing's got to be coached specific you've got to be setting traps in certain areas that your teams are stronger. I think it's quite it's it's very easy to set up and defend in a block and say right we're going to be hard to beat we're going to play for set pieces we're going to play on the break it, you're not going to embarrass yourself so if you're playing if you're defending for long periods you've got eleven men behind the ball, you can sustain that for longer periods and hope that kinda of you're gonna ride that out if you like um I think that the biggest fear for people if they go and press is they're going to get opened up so they're going to leave space in behind and you've got players who are very dynamic and quick and good 1v1 and and are great in big spaces and you're going to be destroyed and the game's going to be over in 20 minutes. So I think that's the biggest reluctance for me um, from teams why they don't just want to go and press high.
0: Yeah, it's almost that we're at an era now where coaches are now being almost examined personally about risk whether they're open to it or not and and control like you're saying about Martinez and her robotic systems, where we would have thought that was great. That was tactical discipline. Again, you said last week you were talking about great to see Leeds and Liverpool with Bielsa and Klopp uh, about their movement and creativity. Do you think as coaches we've got to start giving giving up some things for our teams?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it, going back going back to the City one. if you... The thing is, right, If it, I, I try and look at it from a point of view, and especially because I want to play this way, I think, what what do I want as a coach to make this game easy for us? So if I go, and I I've not gone through it in detail, if I go through the five stages, the first stage of it is to get to the half with control possession. So if I want to play this specific style of play, I want to get to the half with the ball. And once I've done that, that's kind of the hard bit then. Then it comes down to the other stages. But the the, the first stage of that is the most difficult or equally most difficult bit, as well as final third and, and scoring and creating. But if, if you're going to give City the first pass out the back and you're going to drop, if, I, if I'm... Guardiola would be sitting there thinking, absolutely brilliant. You're giving us the first pass. We're going to overload the middle. We're going to time our movement right. We do this with our eyes closed. We've got different movement patterns for every scenario you're going to try and um, drop in that block with. Still, they're going to get to the half and that's the hardest stage, complete. So they've got control over the game. They've got control. They've dictated to you. They've got you in a position where they want you to be. So for me, if I'm the opposition manager, I'm going, well, I want to do the opposite to what they want. So I'm going to be brave. I'm going to go and press. I'm not going to give them such easy control because once we get in that block, if they get the the positioning right and they get, if they're filling out all the spaces that they do really, really well and they're improving every single week with, we're just not getting out. It's going to take either... A moment of switching off or a mistake or a lucky bounce of a ball or a great bit of individual play for us to get out of that block. Like That's that's the thing for me. So you can't just, in my opinion anyway, if you watch the teams that are going to get success against Man City and teams who play that way, they're not going to give them the first pass out. They're not going to give them control over that first stage. So you've got to stop them in that first stage. Otherwise, I'm not saying you can't win because of course you can win and there's examples of teams dropping Dropping deep and counter and breaking and playing on set pieces and there's loads of examples of them winning. But I'm saying to give yourself the best chance, that is what I believe would. I don't want to give the opposition that that kind of stage one if you
0: like. Preparing players for the future game, you you talk a lot about you know how the games changed, teams having so much again that possession, 500 passes. You talk about 85 percent individual pass completion success rate. You know, as from an individual in that in that possession system, how do you balance coaching that individual to keep it, and how do you coach that individual again? Talking about that risk, talking about that creativity.
1: The individuals, the I feel as if is the hardest piece. So, as a coach, the, the individual sides kind of come late for me, really. If I'm being honest, up until probably um, what would we say? Up until about four or five years ago, I was very much collective, collective, team, team. I was a team play. Um, how do they get to the half of control possession? What's the movement like ahead of the ball? When do we circulate? When do we penetrate? How do we play in transition? But kind of the latter part of mine is is I've had a, a bit of a fascination. I had a bit of a um a light bulb moment at a club that was at that really um opened my eyes for the individual side. And I think that individual side very much if I'm being honest, Gary, especially in the US as a very general comment is very much still underlooked so that individual side for me is really really important
0: yeah quote from Cruyff teams don't learn individuals within those teams learn development is a personal process even when conducted in a team environment how do you believe that we should go about personalizing this process without making everyone average or without like you said, it they're doing the same for everyone, just making it a throwaway thing, a tick the box. Well, we do development here. How do you how do you go a little bit deeper with it?
1: See, it's really understanding it because if you look at specific youth, youth training development programs now, where uh, most are periodized, most are four-week blocks, six-week blocks through the year. Going back to what you were saying then in terms of general players, if you're looking at different topics within that and you're moving from a topic that you're going on six weeks, it might be less, right, it's defending outnumbered and then the next ones, um, counter-attacking. For me, you're going to get a, a general player. So you're going to get a player who's good at, they're all right at counter-attacking because they've done that for six weeks and then they're all right at, in the final third, because they've done that for six weeks. But then the one that they did six months ago at the start of the season, they're going to forget about because that's not the focus at the minute. So for me, if, you, if you're creating, kind of, if, the, if the programmes are really generalised and you're doing various different topics and then you're moving on to topics when some players are not ready and that some players are ready, but then they need to stay more on it if it 's not specific for them you 're going to get general players out of it and the thing for me is it's not football's really difficult guy, especially for youth development because it 's not like a conveyor belt where you 've got a certain thing that 's going on and then there 's an end process, and you can look at what went wrong with that and did we maximize it there's lots of players out there. That, that are playing and that are playing, whether they've been released or grassroots or even playing top level, that they don't know how could they, how good they could have been if they'd have had more individual. So, for example, I know a club who works on um, ten-minute different. They call it like ten-minute activities throughout the session, so they'll have like ten different activities in the session. So everyone will work on defensive heading for ten minutes. Everyone will work on one v one defending for ten minutes. And then the idea is that that creates technical players who have got a range of techniques. Now, my issue with that is again. That's another example of a program that's going to produce players who are all right at defensive heading they' are all right at one v one defending, but they're not elite and they're not specialists in what they what they need to be so they'd have been better off that center forward going working on his finishing that he's going to be judged on for twenty five minutes thirty minutes in that session with a coach one to one or on his own and looking at his efficiency from certain zones or like for me it's got to be more specific around the individual and and i still don't
0: feel as if a lot of places are doing that really yeah i completely agree i think it's i think it's coach education as well tim like we're all we're all saying well this is the structure we're doing this glossary periodization charts and then saying but i mean at the end of the day if we're all doing the same thing and we're all developing like you said the great players are not produced on a conveyor belt contrary to a popular belief that you cannot produce 15 20 messies a year but no. you don't need to do that, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, completely agree. It's, it's all about specificity. And then the, the question is, and there's no right or wrong answer to this, the question then is balancing out how much collective work they need in terms of the team and then balancing that out with the individual. So, for example, when I was at Liverpool, I was more... My, my kind of back end at Wigan was getting more around individual, but it's still around team. And then I went, I was working with some brilliant people there around individual development. And... Um, it really opened my eyes so for example the first session I did see this is where people think a lot of people say to me oh well individual work does that mean we've got to pull one player out and work with him it's like no you can work on that collectively you can get the best out of the individual so for example I'd done a session I think it was one of my first sessions actually Um, and I had a centre forward who was playing for England at the time in my group and I'd done a session, I think it was, play. we were working on playing out anyway, and getting to the half, and we'd worked collectively, and got to the half, and collectively we'd achieved everything, and um, the academy manager pulled me in after and said, Tim, what do you think of the session, I said, yeah, I thought, this is what I thought we could have done better, blah, 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 this is what I feel we need to be better at in these areas, and he said, completely agree, but just a point for you, and this, this is what completely changed everything for me, so he says to me, right, you've worked on playing from the back, but you've sent a forward who's playing for England, hasn't finished any chances in that session and I said right well what what would you suggest then would it be that I pull him out individually or the assistant pulls him out while we're working on playing from the back and he said no no just start really having a think about how you can incorporate that individual within the collective I said right well give me an example because I'm very much the programs I've worked in have been very much based around the collective so he said right squeeze your back four up to the top of the box for example Play your centre-forward on different angles. So he might play on the second centre-back on the far shoulder. You throw a ball over the top for him or you throw a ball in between the centre-backs. He finishes it. Keeper grabs the ball and then they're setting up playing out from the back. So now you're still working on playing out from the back. You're still getting virtually the same reps you're going to get collectively. They're still getting all the understanding that they need. But your centre-forward's also getting 30, 40 finishes it a session. And now, as that play's developing or in between, you're then giving him individual feedback. So once they've played out and they've got to the half or whatever, or there's a break, it's right. Think about your movement here. So if the, if the centre-back's here and the ball's in this position, what shoulder are you playing on? When do you go late and explosive in behind? If the keeper's near post, what type of finish is it? Across the keeper is it? What type of finish are you looking at from this zone? So he's then getting all the individual detail he needs, but the team's still getting the collective work that they need so that that's just one example gary but that really opened my mind then into getting the best out of individuals but also doing that so nobody else in the session did know really
0: yeah but but if you did that on a on a coaching course you'd have failed it right of course you would yeah because it's
1: not it's not stop stand still it's not um yeah of course you would but that's that's what i'm talking about about when you see the best people working and the best people about really developing individuals and getting the best out of and squeezing every drop of that orange in every player that's when you kind of that's when you realize that there's another kind of level to it really
0: yeah, that other level like again reading your work and and reading interviews and listening to it and watching stuff it's you, know, you come across re- really intense a lot of your work's thought provoking attention to detail, you go into the way. How do you personally balance giving the players that right amount of information, you know, without, especially from working in the US, without bamboozling them with with too much of it?
1: Yeah, good question. I think it's it's down to the individual. Um, and when people say, "Oh, well, you've got to know your players, and you can put an arm around one, and you can shout at another," it's it's not that for me. It's more, it's more stressing the individual all the time and get, keeping them just outside the comfort zone so that as soon as they drop in that comfort zone and they've picked something up that you want, it's then the next little layer can you put on top. And you're constantly just keeping them outside that stress zone so that they're constantly wanting to achieve a bit more and then they realise there's a bit more they can be better at. And I think it's just it's really getting the best out of every single player. Um, it, it could be individual feedback for one player, it could be video feedback, it could be bringing two centre-backs in and if one of them's not doing what you want, Telling the other one how great he is at, for example, stepping in. So say I want one centre-back to be able to step in better with the ball. Half-time in a team talk, I might say, right, well, this kid's stepping in really well. But really, I I just want the other one. I want him to be encouraged to do it then. So if I praise that behaviour, I don't have to criticise the other kid because he then wants to be doing what the other one's doing because he wants the praise. So I think there's there's millions of different ways of doing it, but it's more um, really... Kind of just getting the best out of the individuals. It's difficult. It's very difficult to do, but that's where, again, the I think that's what I feel personally is in. That's where the best coaches are. They can get the best out of the best players all the time.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot in the US culture about holding players accountable. We don't talk a lot about it in the UK, but it's just within the culture of of football. That you are held accountable to standards of dress, to standards of manners. You know, you talk about players that have been in these academies. From experience in, in those academies, how much accountability is based on, you know, sitting down and going over the the game with the player? You know, that one-to-one in video or meetings, how much of it did you find at the clubs you worked for?
1: Very, very different, Gary, depending on where you're at, really. So if you if you're in a category three system. You don't have the contact hours, so the kids come in at five o'clock at night. You've only got an hour and a half with them three times a week in the evening. They've had long days at school, so you want them to come. You want them to come through that gates. And first of all, every time they come in and every time they go out, you want them to go to the parents. That was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. For me, anyway, that's the mm. most important part. It's not about bullying them and you coming and going. This is a-. no, no. It's about first of all, can you keep igniting them and making sure that they're really enjoying it when they're coming in. So for me, it's about um, constantly igniting them. Yes, accountability is very, very important, but as is the cultural side, I'm huge on that side. In terms of accountability, I think it's very easy when you're in a Category 1 system and you've got a lot of contact hours or you're dealing with a professional team where you can bring them in early and you can go through video and you can go through individual feedback and they can watch the clips three seconds before, three seconds after, and the video analysts have have clipped all the, the game out for them the next day but that's not the reality for, mm-hmm. uh, that's a luxury, that's not a reality for a lot of clubs. I don't think anyway. Um, so yeah, I hope that kind of answers what you, you Yeah,
0: think. what's your thoughts on specialists, you know, individual coaches, working with players, in the, to develop technique, creativity, all that good stuff. Love it, yeah, love it. I think,
1: um, seeing some brilliant individual development coaches, who've been outstanding at, Pulling individuals, giving them exactly what they need. Seen some brilliant technical coaches who work on um building that foundation all the time, even in older ages of whether it be ball manipulation or 1v1 work or the tools to be able to outplay people.
0: So I'm really big on that, big believer in it, yeah. Brendan Rogers, another coach that that influenced you. I, I'm really fascinated by coaches, especially a Northern Ireland man who's gone away and, and kind of taken ideas from Spain and and put them back, but he seems to be well connected with his players. Do you think that's something that the media creates, or how did you witness that firsthand?
1: Again, it's it's just about really connecting with them, players, um, and really, in terms of that individual side. Um, as staff, I, I was part of one meeting with him. And that one meeting was based wholly around individual feedback all the time, and he gave examples of him dealing with certain players and he was very much um, excellent at getting the best out of the individuals. There's different ways of doing that as well. So if you look at Mourinho at the minute, obviously there's things that are going wrong with him, but if you look at past players, they speak about how great it was at really pushing them and being hard on them, highlighting them in front of a group, and with certain people that works well, but with others it doesn't. So there's different ways, like we kind of spoke about before, about getting the best out of the individual, and different coaches do that differently. It's not. It's not to say one way is better than another, Um, but again I just feel as if the if I look at if I think now about all the best coaches I've worked with from honestly teachers in schools if I look at grassroots if I look at um, whatever the level is I'm not even talking about professional it's individuals who kids want to aspire to be who want to get information off who can really resonate and get down to a level and yes the the job as a coach is to know what the game looks like at the top level in terms of the future, where it's going, all the movements, all the patterns, what the modern players is like. Great. But the, the real key is being able to unravel that then and deliver that to whatever that level is. So if I'm going to a grassroots under nine kid and I'm talking about different movement patterns in the final third, I'm a terrible coach. It doesn't matter what my knowledge is. I've got to be able to relate to that player and prioritise what he needs. So... It's not about latest buzzwords, latest fashions, latest rondos, latest drills that are online. The art of coaching, is, for me, is can I take what the game looks like at the top level and can I unravel that and give that specific individual the relevant, prioritised
0: information he needs at this point in time for him? Last section, we'll just uh, chat about you, really. What do you think your biggest strengths are as a coach? Um,
1: my My biggest strength as a coach, I think, is being open-minded to constantly develop. I feel as if, um, how do I put it? There's there's certain coaches that you work with who have certain principles they believe in, have certain sessions that they do. They run the same drill year after year. You can go and watch them in 10 years. They'll be doing the exact same activity, activity, delivering the exact same coaching points. And I feel as if, um, for me, I'm... I've got a bit of OCD in in my life, so I'm obsessed with why. Why is he doing that? What reason? Being better. Self-improvement. And I kind of since probably about 20, really, I had um, lads used to take the mick out of me at Wigan. I used to have what's called a black box, and basically it was a massive file of just a load of crap pieces of paper of tiny little comments that I'd heard certain coaches say or certain phrases or certain sessions that I'd seen. And this had built up into about a thousand pieces of paper with just random comments everywhere. And for me, it was about constantly looking at that, constantly refining what I'm doing, constantly improving, constantly watching people that are better than me at what I do. So um, I think my biggest strength as a coach really is being open-minded and moving with the times and moving with what the game is and what it's going to look like and trying to really adapt that to the way I do things. Um, I think every single coach out there, and I've been through it myself, anyone who's listening to this, I'd imagine every single person has gone through a point where they've gone, yeah, I've got this now. I get it. I understand the game or I understand development. I'm good at what I do. And then for me, any time I've ever thought that before, I've had someone who's come and whacked me straight in the face and I've seen it and gone, ah, there's other levels to this. Whether that be... Pep is at Liverpool or Roberto Martinez or whatever it is, I've always seen someone who's better than me and I've gone, right, I need to be at that level. So I think to answer that in a long-winded way, just being open-minded, Gary. Brilliant. You mentioned
0: that kind of getting outside your comfort zone. You did that in your coaching by by moving over to the to the US and working. Yeah. What aspects of youth development over here challenge you to adapt in a different way? Um different way different way of um different way of doing it
1: completely different culture completely different way of um of life i think there's some absolutely amazing people in the US i think there are the cultures in the US and again these are these are very general comments they're much more open minded to wanting to be better and wanting to learn um i think there's a huge issue really which is this kind of a massive focus and a massive obsession with like i said before the team over individuality so Nationally, it's about more about results, about the win-loss record, about the system, about the tactical battle, really, and kind of lose focus, really, then on the development. Um, And it kind of puts a a bit of a a plaster over the the issues, really, which are predominantly a lack of, what would I say, a lack of um, technique and an over-reliance on physical capability, physical profile. So I think, for me, it's more about, in the U.S., identity work, individual work, um, improving the individual within the collective. That's, that's the biggest thing I feel as if that they needed to improve over there.
0: Yeah, how did you go about or how difficult was it to to try and, you know, to put across your beliefs and, and challenge the majority of us over here without annoying everyone and falling out with everyone in the first week? So
1: I, I'd learned in the last couple of years um, – if I'd, if I'd have gone into the US four or five years before, I'd have gone in and wanted to make changes straight away and, right, this is how we're going to play, this is how teams are going to look, individually, this is how sessions look. But I, I kind of learned a lot, again, with working through some top people about culture. So I went in and for, for six to eight weeks, I just watched what everybody did. I, I kind of was just flying the wall. I, just, um, I built trust with people. I built relationships. We went out for lunch. I got to know the staff rather than going in and saying, these are the changes that I made. Because a lot of what they were doing was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um and programs have to be adapted. You can't just go in for set beliefs because the profile of player and the pay to play system, the profile of physically what they were getting in, is completely different than over here. So I think um for me the biggest the biggest thing going in at first was a big thing that I know you speak about a lot, which was building the culture and getting trust with the staff in me. Once that was in, after kind of a, a, a couple of months, I then started. Drip feeding in right. Um, this is what I think we're doing great at the minute. I clipped a lot of different videos from different age groups that was going great. And then I clipped out um, various different issues that I felt as if could really uh, make a difference. So I kind of built it in slowly, and then we went team first, built the individual after that because the team was very easy to influence. Because, like I alluded to before, kind of nationally, the, the influencing the collective is uh, a big a big thing for for US coaches. So I thought, if I get that in first, I can then start drip-feeding the individual. And being honest, Gary, the, I'm sure the staff would say this as well. They At first, they found it very difficult to adapt to that individual side. And coaches pulling individuals out of sessions and working with them, the identity work and not getting obsessed. And they had to keep reminding themselves of, no, not just the team. It's about getting the best out of the players as well. And giving them what they need and, and building sessions around their identity and making sure they're working on what they need to every single day. So, the biggest challenge a hundred percent was
0: was getting getting that individual side out of it um, yeah was there much pushback to parents saying like, "Well, you've pulled Johnny over there out of one, why don 't you pull my Tony out of it and work with him
1: yeah, so that's why we that 's why we couldn 't just pull individuals out of sessions as a so isolated practice. it was more um splitting groups up, uh, and it might be right. We're taking midfielders over here, and then you'd work on certain drills within that that were focusing on specific individuals, and uh, it was more pulling individuals after sessions, doing short periods of it. It was more individual feedback. It was more individual videos with it. So it took a while to get to the point where you're pulling specific players out, but it was more subtle than that at the beginning, really. But there was... Like I said, the biggest the hardest thing for coaches to adapt to was definitely that side. Mm.
0: Whenever you're putting together your books, you, you know, your your work is very, very creative. That's so what I love about it. There's different ideas, different ways of doing things. Where do you draw the inspiration for your your exercises?
1: For the in terms of the drills and the sessions. Yeah, the sessions, yeah. Do you know what? I kind of just um some some I've, I've stole from, from other coaches, but some I just look at the game and, and I think, right, what's the end point that I want out of it? So for this player or for this group of players or for this team or for this unit, what specifically do I want out of it? I'm a big believer in doing things with a lot of decisions, Gary, in doing things opposed and making it as realistic to the game as possible. So trying to make every session look like you've cut a section of the field out and you've put it onto the pitch for them to train. That's that's a big thing um, for me, but trying to make it as realistic as possible, and then within that I just kind of trial and error and making mistakes with it and getting sessions wrong and going right. that wasn't quite realistic there, and that didn't quite work there and i'd ask i i'm I'm very big on asking feedback from the players and getting it from them and um just relating everything to the game and I kind of just I make it up just depending on what i've seen from certain people really that's all
0: last couple for you wherever um a lot of young coaches listening to this and and would look upon you as a role model. What what advice would you offer for a young coach? Pardon? Get as many
1: experiences as you can. Go and watch as many people as you can. Don't think you've solved it. Um, try and always watch and get a mentor of people who are better than you. Don't, um, don't get stuck in doing it certain ways. Make sure you're always open-minded. I think the, the difficult thing for a lot of coaches is getting access to elite level coaches, if you like, and elite level people who who are outstanding at what they do. Um, so I'd always encourage people to go out and ask questions to people, get a mentor whenever they can and just watch as much as they can, watch different games. Don't be don't become embedded in a certain belief and think that that's right. I would always just ask questions. So for example, if if I'm a coach and I'm doing a 4v1 box practice, I always say to myself, right, because Pep Guardiola doing this as a warm-up, does that mean that that's specific? Is that really going to improve individuals? How does it relate to the game? So when they come out of this, yeah, they might have had more touches, but is, is that going to make them a better player? So I would always say to the to coaches, always ask questions yourself, always be open-minded and try and get, do your best to get a mentor that um, can guide you in the direction where you want to go.
0: And the last one, fantasy football question. If you were in charge of a, of a Champions League club and I give you a blank check, how would you organise or hire your your technical staff? What would that look like? In terms
1: of a uh, academy or first team? First team. Um, I would, even at first team level, I think uh, video analysis is really important. So being able to feedback to players, certain things after games. I think even at first team, individual development is massive. So I'd have an individual development coach in terms of right. um See, for me, I used to say this to the academy players all the time. They reach a certain level, they become an international player. And it feels as if they could just turn up to practice then. And that was it. They'd achieved everything. And it's like, well, hold up. If Coutinho can go and work on unopposed skills for 20 minutes every session and work on Super 7 work, then... I think it's good enough for you as an under-16 or an under-11 or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think for me, that individual development side is really important, even at that top level. I think a lot of coaches, a lot of players that I speak to, first-team players, um, at various different levels, they they stop being coached when they get to first-team. So, a lot of say to me that I've stopped developing. And then when you... When when they say then they're working with a specific coach that's actually going to improve their efficiency in certain zones or that's going to um, work on the body shape, and it's things that they forget that they just need reminding of, they find mass benefits to the game. So I think, again, going back to that individual sides, really big for me. Um, and then just everything else that comes with it, your nutritionist, your psychologist, et cetera. I think it's just about setting up a, the most professional support structure that you can around the players so they've got access to pretty much everything that they need. Top class. Tim, thank you very much. Enjoyed that. No problem. Thanks a lot, Gary. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much to Tim for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I said at the start that this is a man that's really, really strong in his convictions, but he has a great balance of being flexible in his approach and open to new ideas and that's something I really really enjoy when I talk to Tim or listen to Tim or read his work. When you hear his story I find it really really powerful and inspiring that being strong in your conviction is one thing when you're standing on the sideline but to be strong enough in your convictions to stand in front of a Premier League coach or sit down with a Premier League coach like Roberto Martinez and display your philosophy and talk about it and detail it and then have that coach break it down and, as he said, rip it up and then having the humility to go back over that and saying, yeah, he's right, all he's right and and kind of revisit your philosophy through that lens I think is really, really powerful advice for for other coaches and is a great example to set. We should constantly be looking at and revisiting Our philosophy is we should constantly be looking for opportunities to sit down with people who may be able to break it apart and may be able to pick out flaws because that's how you get better and that's how you learn. And I think as as I start going into talking to more people and podcasts and more experts in different fields, it becomes pretty clear that humility and awareness are two of the greatest assets that you can have as a coach because the game you never have the answers in this game and the the goalposts are always moving either with playing systems or training techniques or even by culture or level you constantly have to adapt and i think that's the The most consistent variable in all these podcasts has been the people stand out, the people are successful because they're so open to new ideas and they're so open to being challenged and they're so open to moving outside their comfort zone. And we talk about that comfort zone and we talk about attitude to players, how important it is to have a great attitude, how important it is to push outside your comfort zone. But we never really talk about that as coaches, especially the attitude piece. What kind of attitude do you have as a coach? Is it good enough just to have a positive attitude or just to have a good attitude? Or do you have to have a great attitude? And what is a great attitude? And for me, a great attitude is having the ability and having the courage to go outside and ask for help and look for different ways to improve your content of your coaching improve the detail of your information that you're giving to people and have people break it down and that was something that came came across so well in Tim's words there and and I went away myself thinking am I doing that enough you know can I expose myself to new ideas can I get better as well uh, at the rate in which people like Tim are getting better. So I thought that's a great example to set and a great message to send to other coaches, to young coaches. You know, yeah, go out and educate yourself. But then after you educate yourself, test yourself, and then after you test yourself, you should be in a position where you need to re-educate yourself and constantly going through that cycle again and again and again. I think if you just if you're just playing games and training, games, training, games, training, pick up a book every now and again. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough. So great stuff from Tim. We'd love to get your thoughts on that. I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of coaches enjoyed it. Uh, please reach out. Let me know what you think. At Gary Corneen on Twitter. At Gary Curnine on Instagram. Really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Really appreciate you spreading the word. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics,